Thank you for joining Bowling Green Christian Church this week. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit BowlingGreenChristian.org. How much that's that's made a difference in the, the faith life of people here. If, if CSF has meant something to you in your faith walk, if you're close to the Lord because of that, would you put your hand up? Would you just let... Let's see that, man. Yeah, young and old alike, a whole crew over here. My goodness. If maybe it wasn't CSF, uh, but just campus ministry in general, maybe CSF, but campus ministry, maybe you want someplace else in campus ministry meant something to you. Would you put your hand up? Let's see that. Yeah, that's what that's what I thought. Campus ministry is so important. The ministry at CSF is so important. What Nathan and, and the whole team over there does is, is amazing. There's, just, there's so many people that work over there. We're so thankful for them. Couldn't couldn't name them all. I could try, and then I'd leave somebody out, and I'd feel terrible about it. Um, you know, so because I don't want to feel bad, I won't even attempt it. Um, but I do. I, you know, we're so committed to that work over there. Um, that's a that's a ministry that we as a church support. And when you give to BGCC, you're also giving to CSF. We support them as a mission, and we work a lot with them and, and do lots of different things with them. So uh, I want to thank you for your generosity because your generosity enables the ministry here to happen. It is a big uh, contributing factor to the work of what's going on over at CSF. And so thank you for being generous. If you've yet to give or try uh, try that out, it, the easiest thing to do is to get the app to download that. Uh, if you've got it, you can give there in the app. It's very easy. You can go to bowlinggreenchristianchurch.org or is it just BowlingGreenChristian.org? There's a give tab there, and yeah, we still take uh, paper checks. So any of those ways are great ways to practice generosity and to support some great work and ministry. I uh, want to remind everybody, next Sunday is Easter, so hopefully you have that down. Uh, and we've got two services, so everybody say two services, <clears throat> two services, good job, 9 and 10.30. So uh, we're going to have two hours, 9 o'clock, 10.30, it'll be the same service, just run twice, there won't be any uh, Sunday school programming here. Uh, we will have kids programming available, uh, so that's happening, but 9 and 10.30 next week is Easter Sunday, we're excited about that, and then also Good Friday is going to be on Friday, as, as we always do Good Friday. Uh, that's going to start at 6.30. We're going to have worship here. And then afterwards, there's going to be this art gallery that we've got put together. Um, I didn't contribute to it for reasons that may or may not be obvious. But we have some very talented artistic folks here that are doing some great things, have done some great things. And it's exciting to see, um, to see that all go there. All right, this TV has died. Um, I don't know if anybody's around that could could maybe help me with that, but uh, we're going to go ahead and get started, because today we're continuing our series that's called New and Now, and this series is about the new life that we have in Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus came to give us new life, not improved life. He didn't come to make things better. He came to make things new. That's what Christ came for. And the beginning, we talked about how Jesus came to make things new. That's the offer that's on the table for us. Not, not to just improve it. You know, a lot of times we go to God and we want him to make our lives a little bit better. We say, God, would you help me? As though we were the main character in our story. The truth is God's the main character. We're all a supporting cast. And so the question is, are we going to get with what God is doing in making all things new or not? Last week, 
we were talking about how uh, the churches of Galatia were struggling to live this new life because they were starting new but in the same old place. And that's kind of hard to do, to make some changes in your life and still be surrounded by the same old friends, have to go to the same work, have to do all the same other things, you know, have to do all of that kind of stuff, and you end up there. And it's a challenge sometimes to start over new, to begin again, when you have got the same place that you're there. Um, today, what I want to look at is this, is how is it, <clears throat> hold on, how is it that we are able, gosh, holy moly, I'm all discombobulated. Oh, man, I don't deserve you. All right, now we're good to go. Oh, no, we're, oh, you got it on, perfect, all right. Man. TV's on fire. See what I did there? Yeah, no. You know, we're not going to worry about it today. It's, it's just text. If you've got the app, it's there. I'm trying to print this whole thing out. Is it back now? Now it's on. Thanks, John. What would I do without you? All right. Yeah, all right. We've rehearsed this five times this week, too. All right, good, good. If you're at home, it's, it's as awkward as it is here, so you're not missing anything. All right. Today, what we're looking at is how do we navigate new life? If, it, if you're like me, you get on autopilot. I mean, I do it when I'm driving. I do it in life. You know, if I'm, if I'm headed out Scottsville Road, I'm just assuming that I'm going home. And if we're supposed to stop someplace on the way home i.e. tractor supply, we're going to get some dog food or whatever. I, I don't think about it. I'm just, I'm focused on the end. I mean, it's just autopilot. I drive that all the time. Let's just go. Let's just move. Let's just keep going in that direction. Uh, that's kind of how we are in our spiritual lives. Uh, when Christ comes and makes things new, sometimes it requires some conscious effort on our part to say, oh, I need to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit's telling me. I need to pay attention to what Christ is calling me to do, and I need to try to live faithfully because God's done something new in my life, and I, I want to keep that going. I want to continue with that movement of moving in this new direction. But it's the old that pulls us back. It's the old that, you know, it's just kind of this magnetic gravitational pull. You know, we are easily uh, swayed back into old ways of living. Maybe you can relate to this. You know, maybe you gave your life to Christ as a teen, you know, but then peer pressure maybe pushed you away. Maybe it, it drew you away from the person God was calling you to be, and it's now taken some time for you to come back. Uh, maybe as you try to come back, the church pushed you away. That happens sometimes, unfortunately. And you're coming back to a place where you're saying, man, you know what, I, I want to pursue Jesus Christ. Uh, maybe you can relate to this idea that, you know, you gave up something in your life. Maybe, maybe God gave you victory over something. Maybe it was a bad habit or even an addiction. And you put that away, but the old temptation keeps luring you back into this old way of living. How is it that we shake this? How is it that we continue to move towards the new? Maybe you've surrendered your worry to God in the past, but then things got a little extra scary and you started to allow doubt to creep into your life. And now, man, you're just anxious all the time because you just can't seem to bring yourself to trust God. You're coming back to this old way of living. This is what Paul is, I think, telling us. He's saying, listen, I've been crucified with Christ. 
and no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Friends, this is a daily challenge. This doesn't happen just once. It's I've been crucified with Christ. That happens once. I no longer live, but Christ lives. That's present tense in me. Every day it's a choice for us. So let's say this together. This is our theme verse. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So if that's true, why do we keep moving back to the old? Well, it's, it's just simply, it's the path of least resistance. It's, it's the path that we know how to travel the best. And this is why the Galatians were slipping back into their old ways of living. They were people who were familiar, a lot of them, with the Judaic law. And they were familiar with what was required of them. And they were comfortable with it. And so they were glad to go back to what was familiar. And Paul's saying, listen, don't go back down that road. You know where it goes. You know where it leads. And it's not the place that you want to be at. Paul writes to him in pretty strong language. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now, Paul has got really strong language throughout this entire book. As a matter of fact, this is pretty tame to what he'll say a little bit later in the text. Uh, Paul is, is, is frustrated, he's passionate, he's, he's maybe even angry. I, I know that as we read this text, you know, it's, it's hard to put a tone of voice with what's happening here. But I, I want you to think of this in, in some way. Maybe like Paul is a spiritual coach for this, this church. And what he really wants for them is to have this best life that Christ has for them. And so he is really passionately saying, listen, I need you to pay attention. Who, who has bewitched you? Who's tricked you? Why are you acting foolish? I mean, Paul views his church as his children. He's their spiritual father, and he sees that they're literally taking their lives on a road to hell. And he says, listen, I don't want you to go down that path. I don't want you to go that place. Turn around. Come back. There's nothing that Paul could say in his mind that would be too strong to help convince them to come back to the new way of living in Jesus Christ. He says, I'd like to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Paul here is calling the Galatians to do a little bit of self-examination. He's saying, I want you to pay attention. I want you to look in your life and ask yourself this question. How did you experience new life? When did you get new life? Did, did you get it by obeying the works of the law? He said, you know where that road traveled. It didn't take you to life. Or by believing what you heard. Paul is challenging the Galatians to ask themselves just their own experience. What's brought you life? You see, as we're looking for signs to the new way that God has for us to live our lives, we need to look back on our own experience with Christ because it's our experience that points us to something new. I shared a little bit of this last week, but I mean, I think there's a lot of really great logical arguments for the faith. And in the app uh, this morning in the sermon notes section, I have loaded a link to a, a website called reasonablefaith.org. And you can just click on that there, or if you don't have the app, you can remember that. It's reasonablefaith.org. Uh, it's got a ton of great, compelling articles, videos. If you have a short attention span like me, they have really short videos. They have like 60 seconds of like defending your faith. It's, it's fantastic, because um, by the time I get bored, the video's over. Um, that's, that's right there. All of that stuff's there, and there's some really great and compelling uh, truth there for you to look at. But I will tell you, as, as compelling as that is, the longer I walk with Christ, the more I see with my own eyes the difference God makes in people. I've seen too many lives changed, and I've seen too much amazing things happen in the name of Jesus Christ to, to doubt that he is with us. 
I know that he is. My experience points to something new. It is reminding me that Christ is there. And this is what Paul is getting at with the Galatians. He's calling them back to think about their life of faith. He says, so again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Paul says, listen, man, when I came to you, churches of Galatia, when I came to you, there was amazing things that happened. God did amazing works and of power and, and even performed miraculous signs. Had you seen any of that with the law? Paul wants to know. Have you seen any of that stuff happen in the synagogue? Or is it as a result of faith in Jesus Christ? Maybe we should ask ourselves this. Where have we seen God work in our own lives? What about you? I mean, think about that. Where have you seen God work in your life? What has he brought you through? I'll tell you one thing I hear frequently when I visit families in the hospital or when I'm sitting with families at the, at the funeral home is this statement, is I don't know how people without Christ, without the church, I don't know how they get through these types of events. Where have you seen God at work? Maybe it's in that place where you think was actually a low part of your life, a low point. But if you look, you can see that the hand of God was there giving you grace. Have you seen him restore a marriage? Maybe it was your marriage. Have you seen God bring back a prodigal? Maybe your own son or daughter. Have you seen him bring you through something that you didn't think you could get through? Friends, we've got to remember where that power comes from. We've got to celebrate it. We've got to maybe even write it down and say, man, God, this was a point in time when you showed up and you gave living proof to my faith by your faithfulness in my life. That's what God does. And yet, despite the fact that we know that, there is something inside of us that wants to systematize. It wants to control things. It wants to manufacture faith. It wants to manufacture the presence of God. It wants to, to sort of have a, a prescription where if I do this or take that or, or you know, say this in this way, then all of a sudden I get this result. But faith doesn't work like this. The Galatians, they liked the, 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 the rote of the law. They liked the, the system of, of the legal system of the Mosaic law. They liked that. And they said, man, that's comfortable. It's easy. I know this is the sacrifice I make. This is the place I go. This is the time I do it. This is how I do it. I know these are the things that are expected of me. But listen, none of that ever brought them life. That's what they know too. They, they say, you know what? I, I don't have that type of powerful, you know, encounter with God when I'm trying to control it. What we have to do is allow ourselves to be surrendered to God. I think sometimes we end up in this place where we say, man, I don't know that I feel close to God anymore. I understand that frustration, but the solution isn't trying to control it, but it's to surrender to God and say, God, what is it that you're doing that's new? How can I be a part of that? Another thing that points us to God and to the new things he's doing is the history of God's people. The history of God's people points us to something new. It's not just our own subjective experience. That's kind of a dangerous thing to rely on for all things in life. We can look at what God has been doing through history, and we can see that the arc of his involvement in history is towards closerness with humanity. He starts walking you know, with everybody in the garden, and then there's that separation of sin. And then what does he do? He comes, and he has this moment of an encounter with Abraham. He says, it's going to be through faith. And then he comes to Moses, and he's going to build this tabernacle, and then he's going to build a temple and set up a permanent residence. But none of that's close enough. And so he's going to send Jesus Christ to live and to walk among us. And even 
that's not close enough. And Jesus said that he was going to send the Holy Spirit into us, into our hearts as Christ followers. And so we can chart the arc of God's grace. We can chart the arc of God's involvement, and we can see what he's doing. It gives us signs that points to the new things that God is doing. And, and we shouldn't be surprised that God does things new. This is what he's told us he was going to do from the beginning. Paul's going to go back to Israel's history, and he's going to start to make some pretty technical arguments here. Let's look at him. Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. It says, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Uh, scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. Now, if you're not up on your Old Testament history, that's okay. Abraham comes before the law. God calls Abraham to leave his family, leave his people, leave his place, and just follow him. And Abraham does. And it's the faith of Abraham that Paul is saying, listen, this sort of is more powerful. It precedes everything. And he's, he's talking about this here. He says, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Paul is engaging in a pretty technical argument about faith. And what he's reminding us all is that faith is not a new idea, but it's an old one. And he goes back to Abraham and he says, listen, this is how God dealt with Abraham. And scripture prophesied that faith was going to be the way that God was going to relate with all people. But the problem for the Galatians is that between Abraham and the cross was the law. And the law was given as a teacher. It was to teach us that what we really needed was faith. It was given to teach us that what we really needed was somebody else to take our place. And so the law was given to show us this thing. It was to get us ready for Jesus. It wasn't to take his place permanently. Galatians 3.10 says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Here's what Paul is saying about the law. He's saying, listen, the law was an all or nothing proposition. It wasn't like if you did half of it, you got half credit. It was you either did it all 100% for full credit or you did 90% of it for zero credit. You didn't get to pick and choose what you did. He says, listen, curse is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Who can keep up with this is what Paul is saying. Saying, listen, the law was a dead-end street from the beginning, but that was just to point the way to Jesus Christ. It was to remind us that we can't do by our own goodness what is required of us. That's why we need Jesus. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who is hung on a pole or on a tree. This is an Old Testament verse alluding to the cross of Christ. He, that's Jesus, redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Paul says, if you want to see where the law leads, look to the cross. If you want to see where sin leads, he says, look to the cross. He says, but if you want to see where faith leads, look to the tomb. And you see that the tomb is empty. The old way of the law takes you to the cross. The new way of faith takes you to the resurrection. It takes you to the empty tomb. And friends, I can tell you that it's true in your life as well. It's true in scripture. It records the history of God's people that before the cross, man, all that was there, all that was hoped for was a good enough sacrifice. But right now what we're hoping for is this new life in Jesus Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit. If you're looking for a direction to go, Man, look at Scripture. 
Look at the faithful people there in Scripture. This is one of the reasons why, why you should read both the Old and the New Testament. You see these biographies of people of faith. That they show you what happens when you give your life to Christ. You, you see what could happen if you were going to allow God to do something new in your life. That's, that's the beauty of reading this. If you've read through Scripture, I would, I would say also read the biographies of faithful people, of people that we might think of as saints or modern saints. Read their biographies and see how does God work in their lives. Man, you, you can learn a lot about what God wants to do in you by seeing what he's done in others. You'll see how God's people are courageous. They step out in new directions like Abraham. You see how God's people are generous, how they give generously to bless others, like, like Paul who gives his life and the Corinthian church who gives and, and, and these other churches who are sacrificing to care for those in Jerusalem. You'll see how God's people are peacemakers. They work to end conflict and strife. You'll see how God's people are proclaimers. They're telling people about Jesus. But don't ever think that you've got God figured out. Just because you've read scripture, just because you, you could quote scripture, just because you can understand the arc of scripture, let me tell you, you'll never figure out God. That's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. Here's what he says. He says, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. He continues. He says, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone is born of the spirit. So friends, if we're looking for something that is new happening, we can see what God has done in the past, and we can get an example. We can get a model. We can sort of set some, you know, maybe some boundaries. Like, well, no, God's never going to call us to sin. Like, we know that for sure. But man, where God's going to take you, what he's going to do in your life, man, only he knows. And it's an amazing adventure to go out and to say, God, would you do something with my life? Would you do something amazing in me the way that you've done in the lives of people in the past? You know, the wind is one of those things that, you know, forecasters, you know, they can predict it, they can model it, but, you know, we all know they never get it all right. They never get it half right. That's how it is with the Spirit of God. We might know, oh, man, this is a season where God seems to be doing this and he seems to be doing that, but guess what? He can surprise you and will every single time. We've got to say, God, what is it that you want to do new in our lives? And I tell you, I think it's an exciting thing to think about. It's an exciting thing to sort of chart that arc and to say, how has God worked in the past and how is God working now? You know, you, you go to the, the Old Testament and you see, you know, things like how Gentiles were excluded. They were excluded from the community. They were excluded from leadership. You see the same thing's true of women, right? They're excluded from leadership. But you see these glimpses where God's spirit, he pours out on certain people. So pours out on people like Melchizedek, who's outside of Abraham, but he's there ministering to him. He pours out on, on, on folks like Miriam and Deborah and Esther. These women who would have normally been outside are now leading the entire nation. They're, they're leading the people of God. And then you take it to the cross and you see that now with the Spirit of God, anything's possible. And you see that God opens up the church and the people to Gentiles, and he opens up leadership to, to so many people. And you, you'll see that, we'll, we'll look at this next week, when the cross, it explodes. And Paul will talk about how in Christ there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free. Because in Christ, we get that fresh start. We get to begin again. That's the beauty of what happens here. So we don't want to go back. We want to follow the signs to new ways of living. The signs are our experience, the way that God has set us free. The signs are, are what God has done in the history of his people. They're also 
in the promises of God. You see, the promises of God point to something new. The gospel accepted by faith is God's original plan. And we get previews of that as early as the fall of humanity. When God says that the serpent, he's talking about the devil there, is going to come for humanity, but that humanity, or one person in particular, that's Jesus Christ, is going to win this victory. Time and time again in the Old Testament, God says, I'm doing something new. It's going to be all made new. And that's been our guiding thought for this year. Our, our, our verse, as we sort of planned out some series, has been Isaiah 43, 18. It says, don't remember the past events. Pay no attention to the things of old. Look, I'm about to do something new. Even now it is coming. Do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. As we planned out this year, I, it was on, heavy on my heart, heavy on our, our staff's heart, that, that what we really wanted to do is be reminded that God is doing something new, and it starts right now. We don't have to wait for it. Newness is available to you and to me right now. And this new way of living, God's covenant promise to his people, man, that's available to us right now. God never breaks his covenant promise. And he's promised that he's going to do something new. Pa Paul gets at this a little bit more in Galatians 3. I want to look at this text here. It says, brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. Let's pause for a second. What Paul is simply saying is this, is once you've signed a contract and both parties have signed it, you don't get to come back and add things to it. You don't get to come back and say, I know we signed this. I know we agreed on it, but could we do it this way? No, that's the contract. You signed it. Paul says once it's been signed, it is in effect. He says the promises of God were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Again, I know this is kind of technical, but, but what Paul is getting at is that the promise to Abraham that you could be saved and live by faith was actually given to us also through Jesus Christ. What I mean is this. The law was introduced 430 years later, but it does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. You see, regardless of a contract's age, it's still in effect unless you've agreed to nullify it. Or if everybody that was involved with it, I suppose, has died. I mean, if you think about us as a nation, we're still governed by a document that was written hundreds of years ago. Why? Because it's not been nullified. It's not been voted against. It's not been put down. The Constitution still guides us. Same thing's true here. There's this covenant promise to Abraham that we would be saved through faith. And it doesn't get set aside simply because of the law. He says if the inheritance depends on the law, he says then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. You see, Paul is going back and saying, listen, this law, this is sort of a parenthetical. It, it, it's there to teach us about the way of faith. It's there to teach us of our need for faith and salvation. The law was given as a guardian, Paul will write and talk about later. It was there to teach us about our sin, about our need for a sacrifice. The law was there to protect us from sin. But the law isn't opposed to God's promises, and it doesn't negate them. You see, because God has made a promise to do something new, and he's fulfilled it through Jesus Christ. You know, I keep coming back to this book, and the reason I think this book has meant something to me personally, it's for my own faith life, and why I thought we needed to talk about it now is because it's constantly calling us to not go back to the old. It's constantly calling us to, to look for what God is doing new. 
And yet within the church, you know, we have the same tendency as the churches of Galatia. We want to systematize and we want to control God. We want to create a system that if we live our life rightly and if we, if we attend enough church and if we give enough and if we serve enough, that somehow God is going to owe us something at the end of time. It doesn't work like that. What Galatians calls us back to is simplicity of faith in Jesus Christ. To, to come to him and say, Jesus, I believe in you and I want you to do something new in me. That's what it's calling us back to. And so, I don't know, maybe you feel like the Galatians, and you think to yourself, man, it's kind of scary, this idea of faith. It's kind of scary, this idea of grace, because there's not a lot of guardrails on it, and I'm not entirely sure what I'm supposed to do with it. And and let me tell you this, it's not to sort of systematize and say, I'm going to make a system where if I do this, then I feel close to God. All that is is manufacturing something. You know, we need to pursue God. I, I, I think sometimes... We end up like these folks, and we say, man, I want to create a structure that will help me know that I'm in God's good grace. But that structure is just faith in Jesus Christ. It's that simple. I know that sometimes in our life we, we feel like, man, maybe God is far from me. We say, man, you know, it, it, God is, is distant. I don't feel as close to him anymore. And so what we try to do is manufacture maybe something new, and we kind of go and do something else. And we say, you know, the, the new system is going to solve it. But I don't know that that's the case. I think what's best to do in those instances isn't to try to go back and to try to return to something that brought the feelings from the beginning, but it's to pursue God in a new way. It's to chase after Jesus and find him as he is doing new works in the lives of other people. It's to simply pray a prayer and say, God, would you show me what you're doing new? Would you show me what you're doing new in me and in the lives of others? God, would you show me where you work that I could be a part of it? I'll tell you, that is an incredibly exciting prayer to pray. It's a dangerous prayer to pray. Say, God, would you show me what you're doing new and how I might join you in that work? You know, sometimes the, the answer isn't to just go back and do more of the same. I tell you, in, in my life, sometimes at seasons I, when I didn't feel maybe as close to God as others, you know, I would be told, you know, read your Bible more, pray more. Well, I, you know, I've done that. I've read and I've prayed, and I, I don't know that more of that's going to help me in this. I'll tell you, I think reading the Bible and prayer is a daily discipline that it's there. It feeds us. It nurtures our soul. But there's something that happens when you say, God, I'm going to pursue you in new ways. You want to know what's going to take you to a place of new spiritual joy? It's sharing the gospel with somebody. It's seeing God do something new in their life. You want to you rediscover the fire of a, of a new life with Jesus Christ? Start talking to your friends about Jesus. Start talking to your coworkers about Jesus. Talk, talk to your children about Jesus. And see what God does in their lives. And, and I'll tell you, there's nothing more exciting than seeing somebody give their life to Jesus Christ leading somebody to Jesus, getting into the baptismal with them and sharing that new life. There's nothing like it. And Paul is calling the Galatian church. He's saying, listen, don't go back to that old system. Keep pursuing the newness of God. Paul, if you'll remember, was driven out of these these churches. He was driven out of these towns because people were resistant to the gospel. There were more people that needed Jesus. And Paul's saying, listen, don't go back. Keep going forward. Pursue new relationships and see what God is doing there. Follow the signs. See that your experience tells you that God is doing something new in you. Look at the experience of God's people. See that he is constantly moving people closer to himself. And look at the promises of God. Where God said, listen, the gospel is going to go into the whole world. 
that's, that's what's going to happen before the end comes. Man, that's what God's calling us to, is to experience newness of our faith. So this morning, as, as we wrap up, as we get ready to sing another song, I want to challenge you to pray that prayer here this morning. Maybe as we sing the song, it would be a good time for you to pause and to say, you know, God, I feel like I've been looking for you in old places. I feel like I've been looking for you in the same old. God, I think I've tried to make a system where if I do this, then I, I get this result. God, would you show me maybe what you're doing new? There's a, an old saint, St. John of the Cross. He wrote this book called The Dark Night of the Soul, and he talks about this idea that that sometimes when God feels distant, the reason he does that is he wants to pull us away from what was old and show us something new. And that only in removing his felt presence from us, that that's the only time when we actually pursue him in new and exciting ways. And so this morning, perhaps that's what God is doing for you. If you're joining us online, if you're here, I I want you to know I'd love to have this conversation with you. Our, our, Jesse would love to have this conversation with you. Our elders, we've got folks around.